Well, good morning, and uh, uh, God's blessings to you as, as we gather and, and worship and, and reflect on, on His Word. Um, as, I, uh, as, as I was preparing today, I realized we have uh, come now to the, the end of our uh, summer sermon series on, on the book of Acts, and I was just sort of uh, kind of thinking through, you know, how do we kind of wrap all of this up? And, um, and, and what I kind of like to, to take a look at today is, as we take a look at, uh, at Paul's preaching here at the very end of Acts uh, is, yes, a little bit on the, the contents uh, of Paul's sermon, but, but perhaps even more so uh, on the, the context of, of Paul's sermon and, and the circumstances under which uh, Paul is preaching. Um, so last week we were in Acts 17, and now we're jumping ahead uh, to, to the very end of the book of Acts. And sort of from that time where, where Paul is, is preaching in Athens in Acts chapter 17 uh, to now Paul in Rome in Acts chapter 28, uh, there is roughly, it's, it's maybe a little bit hard to nail down exactly how much time has passed, uh, but most people would estimate that there's been about three years uh, between Acts 17 and, and Acts 28 when Paul finally lands in Rome. And in that last three years of, of Paul's ministry, uh, there, there's certainly been some, some wonderful things. He, he establishes a church in Corinth, and, and he is going about uh, the entire Roman world making the gospel known. But Paul's circumstances over those last three years have been largely very difficult. Uh, let me just kind of give you a, a very quick summary of, of some of the things that Paul has undergone in these last three years between, again, Acts chapter 17, Paul preaching in Athens, to now... Paul preaching in Rome. Here's what Paul has been facing. Acts chapter 19, he's preaching in Ephesus, and a riot breaks out. I am so thankful. That has never once happened during one of my sermons. No riots, nothing. Pretty peaceful so far. <laughs> Close, uh, but, but nothing, nothing quite, quite that bad. Then you jump ahead to Acts chapter 21. Paul has traveled to Jerusalem, and he's preaching there in the temple, and that's where he gets arrested. Once again, this has not yet happened to me, so I'm thankful for that. After getting arrested in the temple in Acts chapter 21, in Acts chapter 23, he's then sent to testify before council there in Jerusalem. Right? So now he's having to make a defense of, of what are you saying, what all these uprisings, all of these problems that are coming about. He's had kind of has to defend his preaching, defend himself there. Then in Acts chapter 23 and into 24, he's sent to Governor Felix in Caesarea, and he has to give witness before Governor Felix. So, so he's basically facing extended jail time, or, or even his life is at stake here, and he's having to give a defense now before governing authorities over the message that he's preaching in Acts chapter 24. Now after that, because, you know, the wheels of justice are not entirely swift in the Roman Empire. He's held in custody for two years until then a new governor takes over and he has to give sort of the same testimony before that governor, Governor Festus. So, so Paul is, is held in custody for two years, finally gets a chance to, to give testimony again, and it's in that testimony that he says, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of this, I just want to go straight to the top, let me go to Caesar. I, I want to give my testimony before Caesar. Now, he's not able to, to do that immediately. Before he's able to go to Caesar, he has to stand trial before Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. And so he gives his witness there. 
And then after giving his witness before Herod, he is sent, still in custody here, sent to Rome. And on his way, what happens? Well, Acts chapter 27, he gets shipwrecked on his way to Rome. And after getting shipwrecked, we find out he ends up stranded on the island of Malta. And he's meeting with, with people there. He, he actually gets bit by a snake, yet uh, doesn't get sick or, or die as he's on, on Malta. And finally then, after all of this, he finally winds up in Rome. And, and that's what he has gone through these last three or so years. Imprisoned having to give a, a defense of himself and his very life is at stake. He, he gets shipwrecked and, and finally now he lands in Rome. Now what's interesting here is there are two times we see kind of in these, the span of these three years. In, in Acts chapter 23 and then also in 27, God two times promises Paul, he says, no, 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 don't worry, you're going to go to Rome. You're going to go to Rome. You're going to stand before Caesar. You're going to give witness before Caesar. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that when Paul heard this promise, yes, you're going to go to Rome, you're going to stand before Caesar, that Paul maybe wasn't thinking it was going to wind up like this. But I don't think Paul thought, oh yeah, I'm going to be in house arrest, still under custody of the Roman Empire, and that's how I'm going to stand before Caesar. I imagine that, that, that Paul maybe thought, you know what, I'm going to march into Rome as a free man. I'm going to ride in there triumphantly on horseback. I'm going to go up and I'm going to knock on the door of, of Caesar's palace, not the casino, his actual home. I'm going to knock on the door of Caesar's palace and I'm going to stand before him boldly and testify to the one who has not proclaimed himself as Lord, as Caesar has done, but the one who is truly Lord over Rome and over all creation. But that's not how it goes down. That's not how Paul winds up in Rome. He is there under house arrest. He's undergone imprisonment, beatings, riots, all kinds of things. His life has been at the very brink. And he walks into Rome under those circumstances. But what I'm most taken aback by is that given all that Paul has undergone, never once does he waver from the mission that he has been called to? Never once do his circumstances become a reason to abandon proclaiming the promises of God, proclaiming the coming of God's kingdom in Jesus Christ. Never once does that happen. But Paul remains ardent that his call is to go and make this promise known. He's faced nothing but opposition these three years. But never once does it change his mission. Now we see that take place, Acts chapter 28, verse 23. It says, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. So Paul, because he is under house arrest and in custody of the Roman Empire, he's not able to do what he had normally done, which is enter into the town and, and find the synagogue there and begin proclaiming to his Jewish brethren and sisters. But rather, they come to him. 
And they establish a time to give him a hearing. And even though he's in prison, even though he is under house arrest here, he never once changes his message. He continues to do what he had always done, which is expound upon the scriptures, teach to them the way that both from the law of Moses and from the prophets, that Jesus is the one who had come and fulfilled the promises of God. Paul remains resolute in spite of his circumstances that his mission is that he has been sent to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Proclaim the coming of, of those promises. And, and Paul isn't even turned away by the response, even though some reject this message and, and some, yes, believe. He remains that he is going to continue to do the same thing. In fact, you, we hear his response to that in verse 25. It says, And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul is, is rejected by, by many of, of his Jewish brothers and sisters there in Rome. Many of them don't accept the message that he is speaking. But does he stop speaking it? No. He says, okay, if, if you won't hear, if you won't listen, if you won't accept this promise that God has made in Jesus Christ, then I'm going to go to people who will. I won't stop speaking because you won't hear. Instead, I'll just go to the Gentiles because they will listen. The circumstances don't change it. The, the, the recipients don't change it. Paul remains resolute. He remains focused on proclaiming the promises of God in Jesus Christ. And that's what he continues to do for the rest of his life as he is under house arrest in Rome. Verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Two years Paul lives in Rome under house arrest. And for those two years as, as he is under house arrest in custody of the Roman Empire, he is never once deterred. He never once stops doing what God had called him to do. In fact, it says here that he continued to teach about the Lord Jesus Christ without, with all boldness and without hindrance. I'm, I'm struck that Luke notes that it's without hindrance. It almost makes me laugh. I'm like, uh, Luke, you know he's like under house arrest. That sounds like a hindrance. <laughs> he was shipwrecked. That sounds like a hindrance. He's been sent from place to place to place and, and having to, to give defense of himself before, before governors and, and rulers and, and all of these things. He's dealt with beatings and, and torture and imprisonment. He's faced nothing but hindrances. 
but he continued to teach about the Lord Jesus Christ without hindrance. He doesn't stop. He isn't silenced. He doesn't complain. Well, maybe he complains. I don't know. I imagine there were probably some, some shouting matches with God throughout these two years under house arrest. But he remains devoted. He remains resolute that his mission is to proclaim the promises of God. That his mission is to make known what our God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And he is able to do that because his mission is not dependent on circumstances. His mission is dependent upon the unchanging promises of God. Not on his circumstances. Not on his imprisonment. Not on all of the impediments that we could see and, and use as excuses for Paul to say, you know what, I wouldn't blame you if you abandoned this. His mission is dependent upon the promises of God, not on his circumstances. You know, this is really kind of the way that God's people have always been called to operate. To, go, to continue to proclaim what God has done, to talk about these things, to talk about God's promises, to talk about his grace and his favor, regardless of our circumstances. We, in fact, see this all over scripture. You're maybe familiar with Deuteronomy 6. The, the passage known as, as the Shema. These words that, that were so central to the identity of God's people. Hear what God says to them. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What does God say through Moses there to the people? Talk about these things. Proclaim these things. Teach them to your children. Yeah, but what if we're really busy? Well... Talk about them while you're doing those things. Talk about them while you're traveling. Talk about them when you're sitting in your homes. Just talk about them wherever you are, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of whether you're free in Israel or you're in exile in Babylon. Keep talking about these things. I was reminded yesterday of how important this is. Uh, yesterday afternoon, um, my daughter and I, we sat down and, and we were watching Kung Fu Panda 2. Highly recommend, by the way. I think it got like a 7 on IMDb. I thought that was a little low. So. But we were watching this, and, and in one of the things that I love about children's movies is, is things are always very black and white. There are good people, and there are bad people, and, and, and there's no sort of moral ambiguity in all of it. And my, my daughter, she, she was very struck by, by just the, the bad guy in this movie. It's an, an albino peacock. In, in the, we won't get into it. But, but there's a, a very bad guy in the movie. And, and she was very struck by, by, by how bad the, this character was. And, and she was kind of, kind of troubled by it all. 
And then, and then later at, at night, as, as we were getting ready for bed, we were uh, sitting down and, and reading the, the Jesus Storybook Bible like we often do before bedtime. And, and the story that we were reading last night that, that she chose was, uh, was the story of, of the Passover. And, and if you're familiar with the Jesus Storybook Bible, it, it recounts both how, how Jesus got down on his hands and knees and, and washed his disciples' feet. And then it then jumps from there and, and it talks about the institution of the Lord's Supper and, and connects it to what Christ is about to do on the cross, how his body is going to be broken and his blood is going to be poured out. And we're reading this and we get to the end of it and the first thing my daughter says is, Daddy, does Jesus love even bad people? She's thinking back to this movie that she watched and, and the very bad people in the movie and, and then reading this story and she thinks, she says, hey daddy, does, does Jesus love even bad people? Talk about these things. Yes, sweetie, Jesus loves even bad people. Jesus came for the bad people. Jesus died for the bad people. Jesus died... For everyone, He died for you and for me and bad people and, and good people alike. He calls us all to repent and to come and to trust in Jesus. Talk about these things. Teach them to your children. And it doesn't matter the circumstances. When times are good, talk about these things. When times are bad, talk about these things. When you're busy and driving from place to place to place, talk about these things. Because we weren't promised good circumstances. We were promised the grace and the kindness and the forgiveness of our God. In fact, Jesus even assures his disciples that as you go, as you preach these things, as you talk about them, as you are my witnesses in the world, circumstances are often going to be quite bad. He, he actually guarantees it. Matthew chapter 10. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents. And as innocent as doves, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirits of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver over brother to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus promises his disciples, you are going to face trials. You're going to be handed over. You're going to give witness before governors and, and princes and, and rulers. You may undergo pain. You may, you may see families ripped apart. But the circumstances don't change what you're called to do. And the promise that Jesus makes to those who hear is the one who endures to the end. The one who endures regardless of the circumstances will be saved. We're not promised circumstances we're not promised that, that things are, are just going to be hunky-dory and, and really easy living as we seek to follow Jesus. But we are promised that if we endure to the end, if we cling to Jesus, 
we will be saved. We'll have an inheritance in his kingdom. We're promised that that blood that he shed for us will cover us. And it will bring us into eternal life with him in his kingdom. Don't cling to circumstances. Don't, don't cling to situations. Don't let your faith rest in, in how good or bad things are going. Let your faith rest in the one thing that doesn't change. Put your faith in, in the love that Christ has for you. Because I think of, of how often we, we can easily use our excuses, as cir or our, our circumstances as excuses to abandon what God has called us to. But we can easily look around us and be like, you know what, like the church just doesn't really matter to people anymore. Pe people have better things to do with their time, and, and so we'll just sort of keep this to ourselves, and, and we'll just kind of hunker down and, and hope the storm passes. That's not what we're called to. We are called to go forth to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. Or we, or we think, you know, the world is, is hostile to the gospel. The world was pretty hostile to Paul. His circumstances didn't change what he was called to do. Or, or you know what, I, I think sometimes pastors, we're, we're the best at, at making excuses. We, we maybe look around and we think, you know, our, our people, they're just too busy. And, and so why, why even try? Why even try to, to do more or, or reach out to the community. You know, people are just too busy. They just keep going their way. But what we're called to, the, the promises we are called to cling to and make known are not dependent upon the circumstances of the world around us. They're dependent solely on, on Jesus and His love for us, regardless of, of whether people will take the time to stop and listen. Regardless of the way that the world responds or, or treat those who are faithful to Jesus, our call remains the same. Our call remains to trust in Jesus who has given himself for us and to make those promises known to the world. One of my favorite examples from this comes from, from one of my favorite theologians, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. As you may know, uh, Bonhoeffer was, uh, was a theologian and, and a teacher in the church uh, during the, the Nazi regime in, in Germany. And, and he actually uh, had at one time been, been living uh, safely in America and, and actually was convicted that, you know, I need to return to Germany. And, and he was a part of actually a, a plan to actually uh, go against Hitler and, and actually execute Hitler. And, and he was caught and he was imprisoned uh, in concentration camps and eventually put to death. And, and one of my, my favorite accounts of, of his uh, execution, it comes from a friend and, and student of his, of, of Eberhard Bethke. And, and here's what, what Bethke writes in, in his biography of, of Bonhoeffer. He says, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed the few steps to the gallows, brave and composed. 
His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. I'm just struck by that image of, of a man calmly, patiently, prayerfully walking toward his execution. Confident and, and submissive to the will of God. And I also, I also look at that and, and I think to myself, I was like, ah, how do you do that? How does one face such painful circumstances? How does one imminently face their own death? So confident, so submissive to the will of God. And what I'm struck by is, is the recognition that, that for Bonhoeffer, for Paul, for all those who have faithfully gone, gone before us and, and faced the worst of circumstances for the sake of the gospel, what I'm struck by time and time again is, is that this thing that is central to the kind of courage that that takes is, is not one's own human strength and, and just willpower and being, being able to sort of grit our own teeth and, and overcome on our own power or, or, or ability. But the thing that is always central to that kind of courage It's that same simple faith in God's promises. That same simple faith that we hear our children ask about in questions like, did Jesus come even for bad people? That same simple faith that, that we sing into the ears of our children, that, that we gather and, and proclaim and, and hear read from the scriptures. That same simple faith that we come to remind ourselves of over and over and over again. That's what drives the courage to face even the most painful circumstances. Because faithfulness in the face of, of pain and suffering and death, it demands faith. Faith not in perfect circumstances. Faith not in, in just... Things going our way. It demands faith in the unchanging promises of God. Promises that aren't dependent on, on things going well. Promises that we believe are true even when life isn't going our way. Promises that remain true even in the most painful of circumstances and, and losses that we face. Because our call isn't to trust in circumstances. Our call is to trust in Jesus, to trust in his promises, to trust that even in the midst of our pain and, and even in the midst of loss, he will remain faithful. He will not abandon us. And even in the face of death, he will one day bring us into his kingdom. So people of God, don't trust in your circumstances. Trust in God. Trust in his promises and trust in what he has done for you in Jesus. Amen.